Adios to the mayor. Spencer Dinwiddie announces that he's headed to the NBA. We've talked about Spencer Dinwiddie, the possibility of him leaving early. But it was always kind of with that caveat, we didn't know for sure if it was going to happen. Now we know for sure. We can talk about where he might go in the NBA draft. We can talk about the Colorado basketball program going ahead without him. And we still have to wrap up spring football practices. We'll talk about some topics there, talk about some strength and conditioning topics, talk about when the freshmen are going to arrive and which freshmen we're most excited to see during camp. My name is Adam Munster-Tiger. I'm the publisher of buffstampede.com. As always, joined by senior writer Ryan Konigsberg and fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Let's dive in. And of course, the number one topic, as I had mentioned, is Spencer Dinwiddie going to the NBA. First off, Ryan, you and I were at his press conference Start out here and, and talk about what stood out to you about that event. What, was there anything in particular during that press conference that had uh, you know surprised you or kind of when you left that press conference, what was resonating with you? Um, first of all, I just I think it was um, apparent to everyone who was in that press conference or just about what was about to be said. Um, you see, you know, all of Spencer's family there. You, ha- you even have Tad's wife in the building. Um, it it kind of it. Definitely felt like it was about to be a goodbye more more than a uh, anything else. So you know, going into that, that was one thing. But then I think it was just the emotion that uh, you saw um, a little bit from Spencer at the beginning. He got a little emotional, and he even mentioned that he was a little nervous. Um, but then you really see Tad um, going on and talking about how, how much Spencer meant to him, in the sense that Spencer committed to uh, to his program before you know they had the NCAA tournament wins or any of that. Um, and he, you know, he actually tried really hard, had to try pretty hard to get it together, but he uh, he did definitely start to tear up there. So I think it just says a lot about Spencer as a player, you know, the impact that he made on, on Tad and just on anyone around the program while he was here. We had kind of speculated for a long time that, that Spencer Dinwiddie was most likely headed pro, uh, and Tad Boyle kind of co-signed those comments by saying, hey, we had kind of prepared uh, with the thought that he was most likely going to go. Obviously, the, the knee injury kind of, uh, threw a lot of question into the whole situation. Uh, it, w- it was interesting to me to hear him talk about how uh, going out and seeing a specialist in Houston uh, and having his endorsement was kind of the f- final uh, thing he needed to hear to feel comfortable going pro because uh, we had kind of heard that maybe he was waking up, as Ryan, you had reported on the show at one point that I think about a month ago, he was waking up every day kind of having a, a different feeling about whether he was going to go pro or not. So it's kind of here, interesting hearing kind of the process and, and what really sold him on feeling 100% ready to go pro. And, I, I mean, we, we obviously knew that he was going to be confident because he's been confident every time he's met with the media and in, in private he's a confident guy. So, uh, you know, I don't know if there was really anything that, that stood up, but to your point, it, it did feel more like a goodbye, kind of a farewell. And I, it was interesting to me, Ted Boyle took – He's he's always honest. He he never lies to you, but you could kind of tell he was taking a backseat approach to this press conference because I think in large part with the Andre Robertson situation a year ago, I think he was more public about saying that that wasn't the right decision. And then sure enough, Robertson gets picked in the first round and he, he immediately came out and said, I don't know what I'm talking about apparently when it comes to the NBA draft. And I think you could kind of sense that a little bit. Tyler, what, what stood out to you about Dinwiddie's press conference? Yeah, I think what you were just talking about right there, I, th- I think Tad, 
he doesn't want to make his players look bad, and I don't think he intended to do that last year. But um, you want you don't want to have recruits coming into this program or having interest in this program thinking that if they decide to leave, your coach isn't going to support you. And so I think he wanted to really make a conscious effort to be in full support. I mean, I think before the injury, we all saw the writing on the wall and Spencer wasn't coming back anyway. So I think this probably made it a little less painful. At least it did for me. I don't know how about you guys or anybody else. But, yeah, I mean, I, I was I was interested to see Spencer really take a focus on talking specifically to incoming recruits with his comment that, if you can make plays, Tad will get you to the league and he'll put you in positions to score and do all the things that you need to do to become a great player. And I think that's great. I mean, you want somebody to promote your program. I mean, you see a guy like Alec Burks doesn't talk much about CU anymore. Um, and, or like Richard Roby, who's doing a lot of good things in Europe. You don't, you don't hear them have that love for the program like the guys who have left since seem to. I mean, you saw Andre on Twitter talking about how he's congratulating Spencer. and He's always talking about the Boston Sabatino chair and all those guys. Um, so I think it's good to get to build that culture here that people enjoy their experience and want other people to come here and do great things. One thing I just realized I did notice is Tad never did say I agree with this decision. Um, he said, you know, we're going to support this. He's always a buff, blah, blah, blah. But he never once said, you know, I think this is the right decision for Spencer to go so I think you saw a little bit that mm-hmm. he was obviously he's going to miss Spencer for obvious reasons, but I don't think he was at, he was a hundred percent sure that it was the right thing for Spencer. But with the whole Andre thing last year, he obviously wasn't going to go and try and sell Spencer on staying. But I think you did see that Tad wasn't you know fully this is the this was the right pick. This is what he had to do. Yeah, and I agree with that hundred percent. It's kind of leading into what I was talking about earlier. It's I don't think – first of all, I don't think Spencer is 100% convinced either because the situation just make it. there's a lot of – It's very complicated. There's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of what-ifs. Um, and Tad, even more than Andre, if Spencer had come back, the, this program does take that next step. It's pretty much inevitable. So I, so I think the pain of him leaving supersedes that of Andre last year because we knew this year this team was going to be good. And either way, so I so I think the the he wasn't 100 percent sure he's going to support him, but I think just the the same feeling that a lot of the fans are having too that oh man if he would have came back it would have been awesome kind of makes you scale it back a little bit the excitement for him. I don't want to put words in Tad Boyle's mouth, but the vibe I got was that he felt okay. I think Spencer could potentially improve his stock by coming back. But as he said many times during the press conference, he is a first-round talent. Whoever gets him is going to get a really good player. So there was kind of both sides of it. And it was different than a year ago when Andre Robertson, everything we were hearing was that he was not getting picked in the first round, which, of course, turned out to be wrong. In Tad Boyle's defense, with all the information we had last year, him going out there with Mike Bowen to try to convince him to come back, seemed like it seemed like the right thing to do at the time, honestly. Yeah, I just think... That I I didn't agree with it back then. Uh, I just don't think that's a. I just thought it was too slippery of a slope if he did go. You know, you like, well in like, hindsight, of course, but yeah. I mean at the time. Yeah, I just I don't think you should be trying to sell players on on that kind of decision. But that's just that's a whole other. I, mean, I think if you do it behind the scenes, yeah, and, that's, and you want what's best for the kid, that's fine. And that, that happens well, I'm every, every yeah, yeah, that's what that, that happens yeah, everywhere. Of course, yeah. but I think I think last year the, the the issue for me was that it became too public. I mean, you don't ever want to get into a situation where your coach and the prospect's dad are having words through articles on media. You know, that's even even though 
if you've ever met Andre's dad, he's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. So it's super surprising. I just, you don't ever want to get it to that point, you know, just just for the future of the program. And I think Tad felt bad about it. Too. This definitely didn't feel as dirty. This whole process of no, the announcement yeah, and everything. Right. And just finally, since we're talking about dads, I think my favorite moment of the press conference was afterwards. Uh, Spencer's dad actually made a point to come up to me and just thank our site um, for the coverage that we provided of the Buffs and, you know, the coverage we provided of Spencer. So I, that was actually a really cool moment for me. I'll never forget one of the first interviews I did with Spencer. His confidence and cockiness kind of caught me by surprise because I hadn't, you know, talked to him before. And he was talking about how he was not going to only replace Alec Burks, but uh, exceed what he did at CU. And I was like, <laughs> who is this kid? And sure enough, he comes on campus. And, and for the, I mean, by and large, you would say he backed up those comments. Definitely. And he was on his way to, to, you know, doing better than what Alec did uh, if he was healthy. Yeah, in college for sure. I'm not sure he would have gotten drafted higher. It would have been close. But, yeah, I mean, what he would have accomplished had he been healthier would have not even been – it wouldn't have been comparable with Alec. One of the things that I found interesting during the Spencer Dinwiddie press conference was the fact that he was talking about what scouts – what kind of the feedback he got from the NBA. And the criticism was obviously the knee. And he also mentioned – a criticism on his shot and Tad Boyle even co-signed that and said that he had heard criticism on his shot and that kind of caught me by surprise I figured if there was one thing aside from his knee you would criticize it's that he's not this uber athletic guy that like an Alec Burks that could jump through the gym and whatnot he's got that kind of more of that deceptive athleticism that kind of catches you by surprise every once in a while the shot was not something that I even in fact, I would consider that to be one of his strengths. I remember an NBA scout a couple of years ago telling me, we love Spencer Dinwiddie. The one thing he's got to improve on is a little bit of a quicker release. At this point, I think this might have been his freshman year when he was playing more on the wing. And as he went to a point guard, being a six five and a half guy at that position, I, I thought the the concern about his his shot release was a little less important at that point because he's going to be taller than most guys at that position. Even in the NBA, he's going to be taller than most guys. Guys, chime in on this. I, am I the only one that thinks that that criticism is completely nitpicky and, and not really even that that accurate? Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you hear something like that, it instantly makes you think, wow, if that's going to be what they're going to look at as a weakness for Spencer – Maybe uh, where we're you know trying to slot him in the draft is wrong because his like his whole you know he's a great shooter he knocks down shots it doesn't if your release is a little bit slow who cares if the ball's going in and it's not like can you remember a time where Spencer Dinwiddie got a jump shot blocked I I, I personally can't so you think about that and you know a lot of um, a lot of it is that he's he's taking open shots so he has that time but. You know, he's not going to be a J.R. Smith guy who needs to have this quick release because he's shooting over guys right in front of him. Uh, so, you know, like I said, if that's going to be the, the number one thing that's going to be your issue with him, aside from his knee, then uh, he, you know, he could go higher than we think he is. Yeah, you can't see me right now, but I'm sitting here with a grin on my face because I have the exact same reaction. If that's what people are concerned about him at the next level, he's going to go a lot higher than people think because he... Like you said, I've never seen him get a shot blocked on a jump shot that I can think of. Um, he, he he definitely does have a slow release, so I'm not going to say that the, it's wrong. But he gets it off in time. You know what I mean? Like he he he's, he takes control of the game, and he's you can, everything he does on the floor is calculated, including his shot. 
some people like struggle to shoot the ball well and they think too much, but he takes really quality shots. And as you said, he's he's going to be an efficient guy in the NBA too because he takes looks that he knows he can make. And if and if someone's flying at him, he's not going to shoot it and get it blocked. He's going to pump fake you, go around you, find somebody open, and get an assist. That's how he is as a player. He's very cerebral. So to me, if that's the main concern that you have for Spencer Dinwiddie at the next level, scouts like him a lot more than we were giving him credit. I think, I think there's some sandbagging that goes on with these scouts. Yeah, oh, there of course there is because they, they, you know, they. Same thing with the NFL draft coming up. You see stuff come out about the top prospects now that you know people are trying to maneuver their way into getting to somebody they like fall for them. But to me, I mean, his his you talked a little bit about his sneaky athletic, which I agree with. My concern is not that he's not a good athlete, especially for his size. He's a really good athlete. Like he can get off the floor. He's quick. He has he's long. He can he can get around people, create for others. I'm not concerned about that. My only concern with him would be that when he does attack the hole. With his athleticism, he needs to finish stronger. That's that's the one thing that I'm concerned about for him at the next level. He's got to be, he's got to be able to attack the paint and put some of those through the rim with some authority. That's actually exactly what I was going to say would, would be my biggest concern. And it's it's not only that, but it's the fact that in college and definitely this year, he was starting to get a little bit of superstar treatment when he went to the, the hole. He was getting almost every call he wanted late in games. All he had to do is dribble towards the basket and throw his head back, and he got a call. So... Uh, that and it's kind of the same thing with Alec Burks, why he kind of struggled his first few years in the league. That would be my main concern, is that he's going to not be used to, you know, going in there and he's going to get bodied and he's going to get, you know, blocked a couple times and he's not going to get that call until he starts to earn it. So, you know, I'm surprised, you know, we didn't hear about that at all as a, as a concern from NBA teams. Just going back to the shot release, uh, a guy that I think of when I, I think of Spencer Dinwiddie's shot is, is Paul Pierce, and he's a guy that's, had a pretty darn good NBA career, and you haven't seen a lot of his shots get blocked, and it's a little bit of a slower release, obviously different positions, but you, you talk about in terms of the height of the guy guarding him. Again, I don't think that's going to be an issue for Spencer Dinwiddie. The question now becomes, where does he get drafted? Does he get picked in the second round like most people expected, or can he find a way like Andre Robertson a year ago to find that one team that really values his skill and get that guaranteed contract? Tyler, we're going to start with you. Maybe throw out, uh, you know, a, a team or, or uh, you know, an area of the draft you see him getting picked. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know specifically about a team yet. I'd have to figure out what people find as holes, and the free agency thing also makes that a little bit more difficult as well, where he's going to fit in. I, I think for me, uh, he, he had, he's going to get drafted. So anybody who's out there talking about how he's not going to get on a team is wrong. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's, he. There's just no way he's not going to. You look at the guys who go at the end of the second round. He's, he. Healthy, he's a borderline lottery potential prospect. At some point in the draft, someone's going to take a risk on a guy who's injured who has that kind of talent level. Um, to me, I had on Twitter the other day, I said his range is 25 to 40. Um, I think that's reasonable. And I, I, somebody, I think it was um, James, came out and said that Chad Ford had the exact same range on him as well, which I thought was interesting because I have him 25 and he had him 40. So I... I personally like him more than scouts, and I guess Chad's saying the same thing. He maybe likes him less, but he still sees him going in that range. And to me, he's hurt, so people are talking about, oh, if he's not a first-round pick, he's not going to get guaranteed money. That's wrong. He, If you draft him in the second round, you're not going to say, oh, you're hurt. I'm not going to pay you. Like You knew going in that he's hurt, so you're going to pay him a two-year contract or whatever it is and let him get healthy and recover that way. He's going to get a guaranteed deal for the team that drafts him. 
because they're looking at him as a long-term project because he's not healthy right now. So to me, the guaranteed money issue is gone. Well, what if it's a team, though, that it's a it's a numbers it becomes a numbers issue when it didn't necessarily look like it was going to be that way on draft night you know teams have free agency acquisitions they make trades and all of a sudden you have a loaded backcourt i mean it's not i'm i agree with you it's very unlikely that he's put in that situation but there is some uncertainty in that second round you know based off a team and what might transpire with their offseason well yeah but you can't you if the, the common misconception is that you can't get paid guaranteed money in the second round, which is not true. You can. They can give you a guaranteed contract. They just don't have to. Right. They don't have to. Yeah. So to, in order to draft him, you are going to give him a guaranteed contract because you know he's not going to be healthy right away. And you can't say, oh, I'm not going to pay you for six months and then I will. He's having an Adrian Peterson type recovery, though. So <laughs> Yeah, that's what the doctors are telling him. See yeah. that skip. I thought that was maybe a little – I don't know. Do you really want to put that in, in a kid's head? No. No, yeah, I – I'm not 100% sure that I – if you know Spencer, you know that he probably – Embellished it. Yeah, <laughs> that's the word I'm looking for, embellished that a little bit. He, I mean, he just, said it as, just, as if it was a direct quote. Yeah. If Adrian Peterson is secretary, <laughs> then I'm Seabiscuit. <laughs> like, that's he, that's I what just, he said, the guy – I mean – which I mean, that'd be, that'd be great if it was true. And, I mean, you could look at him just from moving around – and just seeing him, that he's pretty healthy. I mean, healthier than I think most people would be. He's, he's getting better. And he updates people on Twitter. I mean, I don't know how much any of that stuff is true. But, yeah, I was a little surprised as well. He said he was running 15 miles per hour on the treadmill yeah, today. today. today, yeah. <laughs> and I, I was a little surprised as well. You would have to be really confident as a doctor that he looks good in order to make a comment like that. I, and I hope it's true. I mean, I really do. I was kind of joking with someone. I said, if it was really coming down to, you know, what this uh, – what the specialist was going to say, Rick George could have just, you know, taken a little bit out of that facilities money and just slipped, <laughs> in, slipped in a few bucks to be like, mm, looks like you're going to need a wait. Probably you should come back. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the team that gets brought up a lot is the Phoenix Suns because they have three first round picks. We don't know if they're going to actually keep all those picks, but they do have a pick late in the first round. And that would be, I don't know if you're looking at a team that could take a chance on a guy. If you already have, Two other picks in the first round. I see why people are kind of making that mm-hmm. comparison, and but you know, there's rumors going around that they've made some promise, and from what I understand, that's not accurate. Yeah, yeah. the only promise is that they're not going to keep all those three picks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. They don't have three roster spots, so I mean, you can't draft three people because you're going to have to get rid of one of them anyway. So yeah, they're they're not going to use all three of those picks. They'll probably package one up and move it. And based on things that we've heard, uh, the promise is not really there right now so so what what what, what is spencer dinwiddie's ceiling and what is his basement as a professional and uh, now with this di- our, with this discussion i think you have to put it in in your mind that he's going to make a full recovery from this knee injury okay that, uh brian yeah. do you want to start on this um i think it, i mean it's it's obviously so early to tell but i really do think that his ceiling would be uh an all-star i honestly think he could be an all-star in the nba i think you know it's it's one of those things with with big point guards that they kind of do have a boomer bust. Um, a lot of them don't end up working out. I I don't see that with Spencer though. You know, even a guy like Sean Livingston who uh, he had a freak accident, but he's now back and he's you know contributing for a playoff team. Um, so I think Spencer, yeah, he could definitely be an All Star in the NBA. Uh, as as far as a, a floor, I mean, I don't I don't even really know. I don't. I don't really have a place where I put him on the floor. Um, Could it be a floor a, as a rotation guy for a long career, or is he a guy that might not even stick in the league long term? 
Yeah, I guess I guess he would, you know, a floor. He would be a guy who he doesn't improve from where he is now, and he doesn't ever figure out how to finish around the rim. And if that really did happen, then maybe he he could possibly fall out of the league. One thing that I look to when I look at, and this is maybe an apples to oranges comparison, but I look at what Spencer did in the the World University Games last summer. He goes into this with some top guys from college basketball, and he immediately establishes himself as one of the better players on the team. He starts every game. He was one of only three guys on that squad to do it. He's a guy, much like at Colorado, that certain nights he scores more because they need that. There's other nights he's more of a facilitator, gets a lot of assists. He was very solid during that trip, and that kind of opened my eyes to maybe his ceiling being a little bit higher than I thought initially. I agree with you, Ryan. I think he could potentially be an all-star. And you look at a lot of these guys in the the draft, and there's a lot of guys that have big weaknesses in their game, and Spencer does not have that aside from this knee injury. And so I I am higher on him and his potential than a lot of these NBA scouts you hear from. Um, as far as a baseman, I mean – like anything, I mean, any player can let that lifestyle get to him. Or, any, but I don't see that happening to Spencer. I would say he doesn't like unsavory women. Remember? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I think he has a ten-year career in the NBA, and it, the 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 floor, the basement would potentially just not be not on the floor a lot during that career. But I think he finds himself on a roster for a very long time in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you guys as well. I mean, to me, the one thing that separates him from a lot of guys out there is he's going to be, no matter what his role ends up being in the NBA, he's going to be good at He, A lot of these guys, Alec is a perfect example. He's going to get that second contract because he's really improved this year. But coming out, people weren't sure. If he can't score, we already know he's not a great defender. So how useful is he going to be to an NBA team? It's worked out nicely for him. He's going to get a really solid second contract because he's proven that he can score in the NBA. But with Spencer... Even if he's not a great offensive threat in the NBA, he's going to be able to guard you. He's, he's a good NBA defender. I really think that he, especially as he gains even more weight, he's going to be a really tough physical guard. And no matter, no matter where he ends up in the NBA, to me, he, he does everything well enough that he fits in in almost any role as a guard. So my, my floor for him, I mean, I don't see him not getting a second contract. I don't know that, you know, the, the floor would be he'll be a rotation guy. Maybe be a second or a third point guard, shooting guard, can play both positions. But he'll be using spot rotations to guard somebody on the other team that can, can hurt you. Um, and I think the ceiling, we talked a little about Paul Pierce earlier. They're very similar players. I don't think that's quite his ceiling. And may he could maybe be an all-star. I don't think he's going to be a five- or six-time all-star. He might get one in there. Um, yeah, I mean, he... I could see him being a starting guard in the NBA at some point for sure. I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, lighting the world on fire or anything. But, I mean, he can be a guy who averages double digits in four or five assists a game in the NBA. And there's nothing wrong with that. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I think he definitely has potential to be, like, a, a player that fans know. Like, NBA oh, fans sure. know yeah. his name. Yeah. You know, and I, I actually think that's, you know... More of a more real, like, likelihood yeah. than, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the one player that I always come back to is, I'd have to do a little more comparison on it, but he, he just reminds me a lot of Jared Dudley, who he's, he comes in, he can he is fully capable of coming in and being a quality three-point shooter. He comes off the bench and he guards somebody on the other team that can go off for you. I could really see him filling into that role at the next level and being just a quality rotation wing guy. What do you guys think 
is the perfect team for him to go. Like, if he went here, this would be the perfect fit oh, for him. Oh, man. Um, he could adapt to most systems, which is unlike the, the previous two guys that, that got drafted out of CU early. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's – yeah, unlike Andre, who needed to be in the right position, I think – luckily for him, he really – yeah, he really landed perfect. Um and I think Alec did the exact opposite. Yes. I, th- I think he ended up in about I never, the worst. I never understood yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I think that he ended up in probably the worst possible scenario for him as a player. Um, man, I think maybe he could be really good in Golden State. Yeah. I, I would like him in Golden State a lot. That, yeah, that would be – I like that. I like that pick. We, we talked about a little bit about Alec Burks and, and Andre Robertson right there. What is Dinwiddie's pro potential compared to those guys? Will he have a better career than both of them, or uh, not so much better than one or, one or the other? I would say that his potential is higher than both. Mm-hmm. I would say that given Alec, I think, has proven to be a quality NBA guy, so I, I don't know that Spencer will be that yet. I think he will, but to me, he'll have a better career than Andre even if he doesn't last as long. I think Andre will be a 10-year NBA guy because he can guard. I don't think he's ever going to be a starter, and I think Spencer has the opportunity to do that. Um, and I think Andre has the potential to have a longer career because of his, he's more athletic. Well, there are teams, though, that it. love to put that one to, in their starting lineup. They kind of just have that defensive stopper mm-hmm. and they throw him in there. I mean, they've even done that with Andre yeah, a couple with, times right. this year. Yeah, I just I mean, like, from a production standpoint, he's never going to be Right. A double-digit score or have eight rebounds a game, I don't think. But I, I guess I would say I would say his NBA career will be better than both. Yeah, I agree. Oh, I think, I mean, especially just given the well-rounded game that he right. has, whereas Andre is a specialist and Alec, you know, it, it's all most of, most of it's predicated off athleticism. And mm-hmm. it took him a while to find his niche – like you guys were talking about, just a horrible fit. And it seemed like it was not until the middle of his third year that he actually kind of found his place in the NBA. Ryan, did you, do you agree with us? Is Spencer Dinwiddie going to have a better career than those two guys? Yeah, I, I definitely think he is. I mean, like we said, this is all assuming that he comes back from the knee injury 100%. But he just he has more potential than either of those two had. He can do it all. And especially, you know, you talk about that defense. The defense is, is he's almost... You know, Andre, he's mostly defense, and Alec is mostly offense. Then you get Spencer, who who does both of them great. So I think, you know, if he does come back, I think it's a, it's, it's almost a foregone conclusion that I think he's going to have a better career. Than yeah, him. I think the, the, just because he is so well-rounded, some people out there think that he's really average at everything, which isn't good for the NBA. I don't agree with that at all. People forget he, he would have been first-team all Pac-12 defense healthy this yep. year. And there's some good – you know, defense like Josh Eustis probably won't get drafted, but the only reason people are even considering him is because of how great he is defensively. Same with Jordan Vichinsky. There's some great defensive players in the Pac-12. He would have been on that list, and it was warranted. He's a great defensive player as well. He he has NBA talent offensively and defensively. He's not average at both. No one no one goes off against Spencer Dinwiddie right. except Omar Strong. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Colorado is going to have to move on without Spencer Dinwiddie. And at the press conference last week, Tad Boyle talked a little bit about that. Here's some audio from the Buffalo's head coach. It doesn't make it any easier, but I think, uh, you know, I just came off the recruiting trail. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot about uh, what Spencer's done um, since he's been here on campus. 
what Andre did when he was here. You know, we were we were only able to coach Alec for one year, but what he, you know, what he accomplished in in the short time our staff was here together with him, and and uh, so we we you always have to use everything that happens in a positive light as as best you can, and and uh, it's hard as a coach sometimes when you look. And I, I don't let myself think about it too often, but sometimes you're driving down the road and you're like, okay, if we had a healthy Spencer and Andre together this year with the rest of the squad that we got, how special it could be, and you know, uh, you know, how how good could we be next year with Spencer coming back? I mean, those are those are questions that kind of float in your mind, but they got to get out of your mind quickly because uh, this program is, and you know, we talk about it with our team a lot. It's it's bigger than any one person, any one coach. Any one player, and you know, I think with what this team did this year, um, without Spencer, especially losing him when we did, right in right in the you know middle of the season and the beginning of the Pac-12 conference play, it's a testament to the rest of our players. And like Spencer said, we've got good players in this program, and we're going to continue to recruit good players to this program. And it certainly doesn't make it any easier, um, especially as you try to project and plan. Um, but again, we try to we're trying to build sustained success, and uh, at some point, you know, in time when we're here, everything's going to come together, and the, the stars are going to align, and and guys will be healthy, and and we'll have uh, hopefully a, a couple of NBA players on the floor at the same time playing together at the peak of their career, and when that happens, we can we can make the next jump and, and blow the doors off this place, but. Um, you know, when you recruit young men like Spencer, and you know, I sat in his living room you know, four years ago um, when we first got the job in, in the fall, and trying to recruit him is, you know, I knew what his dreams and goals were. And when you see a kid, a young man now, I can't say he's a kid anymore. When uh, when a young man realizes, oh, it's a good day for for your program, and, and uh, obviously, you know, there's a lot of work to be done between now and and when he gets to where he wants to get. But there's no question in my mind, he's an NBA player, he's going to be in the NBA, and, and uh, the journey will, uh, will unfold before us. We don't know the answers to that right now, but um, there's no doubt in my mind this guy's an NBA, NBA player. So uh, when they realize that dream, it's a, it's, it's a good day for everybody. As Ted Boyle said, this program is bigger than, than one guy, one person, one player, one coach. And so they move on, and during that press conference, of course, Tad Boyle was asked about Dom Collier, uh, their their prized signee from the class of 2014. I wonder, guys, the expectations for Collier are so high here because he's a local kid that we've been hearing about since he was in middle school, and now Dinwiddie's leaving and there's this open point guard spot on the Colorado roster. Is there too much pressure put on Dom Collier as he's getting ready to come on campus? Ryan, let's start with you. Uh, no, no, I don't think so. I think there's going to be very high expectations, and that's a lot of pressure. But I think Dom's kind of used to pressure just because he's he's been being compared to Chauncey Billups since he was in eighth grade. You know, he knows pressure. He He's heard it all. He, um, <clears throat> you know, he's played through it all, and he's lived up to those, those expectations. I mean, not quite to Chauncey yet. But I mean, he went on and he won. He won his state championship and he dominated a lot. So I think I think expectations are going to be too high. But I don't think it's going to affect Dom negatively. Tyler, you're a guy. You you always say on this show you don't expect much from freshmen. Right. But in this situation, a lot of people are going to expect a lot out of mm-hmm. him. Yeah, I, I will say that there will be too much pressure on him, only because there always is for freshmen. 
any program across the country. Every single year you see mock NBA draft boards, the top 10 people are all freshmen. And of course, inevitably, not all 10 of them are ready at the, um, as the season goes on. Uh, I, I probably will expect less of him than the average fan might, but I still I expect him to be better than any freshman we had last year and any freshman, most freshmen that come into any program. I think he's going to be a good player right away. I think he can help us right away. I, I would say, though, I'm kind of surprised it doesn't seem like the hype has really built the way that I expected it to. I don't know if that's just because they hang over from Spencer and people are still worried about that. But we haven't heard about his, about him as much around the fan, the fan base as I would have thought coming in. It, it, the they kind of may be getting used to these rivals when 50 guys come Right, together. yeah, that, that might be it too. But, yeah, the excitement around his commitment and how his senior season has gone – and even his ranking hasn't improved much despite him having a great year. He, the hype around him was isn't what I expected it to be. I, I honestly think that's because Dom isn't one of those players that screams out on you on his highlight tapes. He's not like you, I mean, you can tell that he's an impressive player when you watch it, but it's not this this like you know highlight tape that just blows up at you. Um, I think you have to watch Dom play an entire game before you really understand how he almost has. I, I don't want to start comparing him to Spencer Dinwiddie. But the way that he has the feel for the game is very, very similar to Spencer in the way that he sees the court and the way that he can dictate a game just by, you know, almost like Tad Boyle says, you know, he saw Spencer Dinwiddie be the best player on the floor scoring zero points. It's right. sort of like that with Dom, you know. His, he definitely picks his points, and you even saw that in the state championship game where he didn't score much. But when they needed, you know, him to step up, he he does. Yep. Yeah, I, th- I think that's actually a great point, and it's one of the reasons that I've liked him from the beginning. I think he's underrated. Most top prospects in the country don't come into college focused on how can I help my team defensively. He's already at that level that he knows he can affect the game on defense, and that puts him ahead of a lot of other prospects around him because they, they know they can come in and score, and that's what they focus on in high school. People get into the NBA because they can play both ways, and I'm not saying that he will. I'm just saying he has the right mindset that even if he's not ready to score 15 points a game in college, he can help his team defensively, and I think that's important. Your expectations, you said, are going to be lower maybe than the average fan. What are the chances that Dominique Collier starts for this basketball team next season? Give me a, a percentage. Uh, 40 to 50. Okay. At and, some and not, point? Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Are we yeah. talking at some point or game one? Yeah. The, I would say uh, – I would say conference season. Yeah, we're 40, starting conference season. I don't. I don't think he'll start to start the year. Well, what about the beginning of conference season? Let's go. Forty with that. to fifty. I, I would okay. say forty to fifty percent. I think it'll depend on if we decide to keep Askia at point guard and go with Xavier Tom in the starting lineup, or if we're or if we're sliding Askia back to the two and saying Xavier and Dom, you're battling it out for that point guard position. That I think the second scenario that you laid out is the most likely, um, and with that, I think. I'd put uh, my percentage around 65 to 70% that he's in there by the time conference play starts. Um, as we talked about, you know, he can lay it down on defense. And if he if he does just that, you know, if he's giving his best effort on defense every time he's on the floor, he, I mean, his chances of going into the starting lineup are very high. So I think it, it, there's there's a pretty decent chance that he does work his way in by the time of conference. Yeah, I think starts. the one thing you see with Tad is that a lot of his decisions are always based on two or three years down the road. 
Um, so they're going to want to get him that experience like they did with some of the freshmen this year. Dustin Thomas specifically get, got a lot more playing time than maybe his actual play warranted at times this year. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's – if it's a bad thing – I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing that he starts, and I don't think it means Xavier Talton is struggling either. I think Xavier Talton is a really good bench player. Um, he, he fills that role as a sixth man really nicely, and he can go in for ski or Dom and play both positions well, especially next year as he matures. And I think it means that Dom is ready to play, obviously, if he, if he starts. I, I, think, I think the best scenario for this team would be Dom proves he can come in and start, mm-hmm. and you let Xavier slide back to the bench. He, he, he'll be one of the better bench rotation players in the Pac-12 next year, I think, if, if that happens. I'm going to go 50%, and obviously – as we're all kind of going flying blind with this question because we haven't seen Dominique Collier practice, I, I think either way you're okay. But I really I liked Askia Booker's progression after Dinwiddie's injury. He's never going to be a consistent player, but I felt like he was just a touch more consistent when he had that pressure of being the primary ball handler. And the way Xavier Talton really came on and shot 42% in conference play, I mean – you know he's a guy that's very capable of being your starting starting uh, two guard. So I, I, I think either way you're okay as as a Colorado program going forward. And the, yeah. And I don't think we I don't know if we would have known that especially in terms of Xavier Talton having that potential to be a, a starter if Dinwiddie didn't get hurt this past season. I mean obviously that wasn't a good situation, but we got to see a little bit more about this team than we otherwise would have known. I think it'll be interesting to see the way. Um, as soon as practices start up, the way that Dom and uh, Askia play together on the floor um, and almost like build that that relationship on the court. You know, Spencer and Ski, they had a relationship on the court, but they weren't, you know, best friends or anything by that means. And they didn't have that. To me, they didn't reach their full potential of what they could, have, could be as a backcourt. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see if the dynamic between Dom and Ski almost changes the way Ski plays a little bit and helps him be a little more consistent. If Dominique Collier is what we all expect him to be, which is at, very, at the very worst a, you know, a very capable player at this level, does Jerron Hopkins become more of a two-slash-three going forward? I don't think he's a combo guard. I think that maybe that was the one thing we pulled out of last season is that he's not a guy you want – having the ball a whole lot and Tyler yeah. you were you were on this bandwagon from day one yeah I mean to me to me I, I like that he has the ability to maybe be a backup ball handler for us there's no there's no downside to him being able to bring the ball to court that's good for you as a program if he can do that too but you don't want to be relying on him to do that for most of the game that's just my thoughts on him and it's not a slight on him either I think he can be really productive as a two three on this team, especially you can see if they work on his shot a little bit more to make it a little more consistent. Um, I think he can be, a, he'll be a capable shooter. I don't think he's ever going to be a knockdown shooter by any means. Um, to, to me, his role on this team is important because if it turns out Dom is capable of starting, that's a small backcourt, Dom and Eskia, one, two. So you're going to, you need to have some capable guys behind them. Xavier is not a big guy, but not nearly as small as them. And then Duran as well. Coming in and Trayshawn Fletcher, I think, who will get a chance to um, maybe play a little bit of two as well, um, to come in and really you know help that out because it's it's there there will be matchup issues if we have Dominic Skia on the court at the same time against certain teams. I think Trayshawn Fletcher, of all those freshmen, has, in my opinion, the highest ceiling and could be if he makes the improvements going forward that I kind of expect out of him. 
that's the the guy that fills the biggest void in terms of kind of that X factor guy on this team. Yeah, I mean, honestly, as Will used to like to point out a lot, uh, Trayshawn Fletcher can play shooting guard, and he's huge for a shooting guard. So you know, you talk about having a, a small backcourt. Well, if you slot him in there, then your backcourt, you know, then all of a sudden becomes big, right. or at least you know on par um, with Jerron. Uh, I think, you, yeah, you are going to try and slide him a little bit out of that ball handler's role. Um, but if you do play him as a guard, I'd love to see him him try and use his size advantage on other guards. And we talked about it with Spencer so much that it never happened with him putting his back to the basket. But I think it would be interesting to see Jerron work a little bit on that this offseason and be able to come in and, and you know, when, when another team has a small guard lineup in, throw your back to the basket. And, you know, he's, he's long. He's absolutely capable of learning how to, you know, shoot a little bit of a jump hook shot. Yeah, no one's going to block his shot yeah. if you're going into the post on him. He's an athlete. And it also, you're back to the basket, you don't have to be a great dribbler, which I exactly. think is perfect for him because, you know, the ball is away from the defender. All you have to do is create some space and go up over somebody. Yeah, I mean, I think I was actually I was reading back on my preview of the Midnight Madness, or whatever we want to call it, the event that we did last year. And Trayshawn was the most impressive to me. And you, you, you can always tell once you get them on the court with other people on the team how talented they really are. You know, I, I liked Dustin a lot, and I still do. I think eventually, four years from now, he's going to be a good player for us. But you could tell right away that Trayshawn was the most ready to play now. And I think that will continue. He's going to be a big piece for this team moving forward. And I think, I think overall people nationally are sleeping on the talent on this roster. Well, just lastly here on basketball before we move on to some spring football wrap-up stuff, realistic expectations for the Buffs. Tyler, you talked about this could be a top 10, potentially top 15 team with Spencer Dinwiddie. I think we kind of agreed on that topic. He's not coming back. Is this a borderline top 25 team? That's kind of where I have them slated. Yeah, I think um, I think they're – they're going to be, you know, just a similar team to what we saw without Spencer, a little bit better than that. I think their goal is going to have to be to break break through to that, you know, at least setting themselves up to take the next step. I don't think this is the year that they take the next step now, but this could be the year that they finish uh, top four in the Pac-12 and get that by. This could be the year where they stay in the top 25 for a couple more weeks than, um, than they did this last year. So I think that should be their goal is to – almost take half a step forward. They're not gonna, I don't think this is the team that takes the full step forward and cracks into the Sweet 16. But if they just take half, half a step forward and set it up for the next year, because the next year, you know, that's when you're going to have an upperclassman-filled team for the first time in a long time under Tad Boyle. That could be the year where they take the step forward. So I think this year is almost a setup year for that big year. Yeah, I agree with that calendar, too. I, th- I think next year... You want to take a couple steps forward from how we played in the second half of the season, which I think is reasonable given they had to make quick adjustments. I'm not sure they're going to take any steps forward based on the total resume. I think I'd be surprised if they were seated higher than eighth next year. Uh, I think it'll be close to there. Somewhere eight, nine, I think is pretty reasonable. Um, and I think it will depend a little bit on how ready Dom and Tori Miller, too, are to play right away. Um, I- I'm a little surprised... You know, a lot of people had them only in like somewhere 19, 18 with Spencer coming back, which seemed crazy because they were 15 with him this year and the whole team's back. So I don't see how you couldn't have seen them being better than that. Without them, people still seem pretty confident that they're going to be an NCAA tournament team in the top 40. You know, people um, are 
I think people are still high on this team's potential. I'm just not really quite sure where to slot them yet because they haven't seen this team play together long enough. And, and I think people are, especially around the program, are a little scared based on the last game. You know, the the, the expect if you remove that game from the schedule and people forgot about it, the expectations in this team would be a lot higher than they are knowing how that game was played. And because of that game, it makes me think the less of importance about where you get seated and who you get seated against. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because sure. the last two years, even the year before against Illinois, you're talking about a really senior-laden team. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, they have not gotten a great draw. So if, even if they're a 10 seed, but they get a better matchup, I mean, maybe on paper it doesn't look as good, but it could be much more beneficial for this program trying to take that next step to get you know another NCAA tournament win. Yep. Yeah, Todd talks about his press conference, the stars aligning. And he kind of talks about it in a different sense, but they still haven't had the stars aligned for them, you know, getting a draw in the NCAA tournament. And that's kind of what happens for teams that make these big runs. Like, even, like, look at Stanford. They just got consistent matchups that worked great yeah, for them. Yeah, it's, it's really – the NCAA tournament is really all about matchups. So, hopefully we get one. <laughs> well, let's move on to spring football. We uh, were all out at the spring game about a week and a half ago. Kind of a general question here, guys. After watching the spring game, kind of following spring ball, seeing, seeing some of their practices, are you more or less optimistic about this team going into the summer? Ryan, let's start with you. Um, after watching that spring game, I think my expectations for this team went up. Um, that was one of the better spring games in terms of just competition on the field that I've seen in Boulder in, in quite some time. Um, I thought <clears throat> that every, uh, every position was competing with each other. And there wasn't, you know, um, obviously they don't have a, a guy like Paul Richardson who was just who could just dominate at any time. But no one was, you know, taking over the game in the sense that you looked at it more of a failure of one side than um, the success of another side. So I think just that, the fact that they're going to have that every single day in practice, competition at their positions, is uh, enough to make me raise my expectations for this team. I'm going to cheat and say the same. Oh, uh, yeah. on the um, fence, Tyler Ziskin. Uh, my, here's why, though. I, I don't like the setup of splitting it into teams because in practice, you see Bryce Bowe has a chance to be pretty good. He goes up against the starters. But in the spring game, I'm not impressed when he beats Brandon Briscoe <laughs> six times. You know what I mean? Like, somebody has a mismatch at every – like, Nelson Spruce was just crushing whoever it was – I forget who it was because he, you can't guard Nelson Spruce with somebody that's not Greg. So what was funny too is the the players drafted it almost that way. Greg Henderson wanted his team to draft Nelson Spruce first, so he didn't have to right to yeah, guard him. So to me, you, you it, it promotes even Matt an even team. So I get the game's competitive, and that's fine. I get that. But I would like I would love to see more one on one matchups because you then you really get to see who is ready to go. And and I don't we there there's more depth on this team there's no doubt about that they have speed i really like lee walker's potential um especially he's he's improved probably more than anybody since the first practice i went to for yeah. the last um I, I think that they're they'll continue to be more competitive and that's what i expected prior to it as well uh, i think the depth allows them to not fall off in the second half of games and stay competitive for longer in games uh, but I don't, I don't see them really taking the. I don't think they're a bowl eligible quality roster yet. I, I think they're on the right path. They're getting there, but it's not quite as easy as people want it to want it to be. You know, some teams they only need a few pieces. 
But when McIntyre got here, he needed a lot of pieces. And it's impossible to fill all those holes in two classes, to me. My take on the spring game is it's great for the players, and they deserve that reward. Mm-hmm. I mean, they work so freaking hard in the offseason. I mean, aside from – we're going to get into this a little bit uh, from now, but aside from a break here after finals – they really don't get much time off. And so to be able to draft teams and go out there and kind of have a game and have that competitive element, I, I'm all for that. I am more optimistic about this team. And I actually, not in the sense that I think they're going to win more games next year. I've encouraged from the standpoint of, I, I look at these guys that this staff, McIntyre staff brings in, and they only had three new guys, Akella Witherspoon, Lee Walker, and Wyatt Tucker-Smith. Uh, their batting percentage on the guys they have brought in is so freaking impressive. It's, I mean, it, they're batting like 800 in terms of guys being legit Division One players. That, I mean, uh, and it's a, it's a small sample size. They only brought in, I think, seven or eight guys in their transition class, and then these three early newcomers. If they continue with any type of percentage like that going forward, there's no question that mm-hmm. where this program is headed, and it's headed up. Um, but next year. Again, I yeah, I don't I see maybe five wins as being their ceiling, but when you talk about being optimistic about the team going into the summer, it's not just about next year. It's about the you know the the trajectory, as Mike Bone used to, used to like to say about this program. And I see it in terms of the guys they're bringing in being you know on the uprise. Um, in terms of being surprised negatively or positively during spring ball, without question, the O line was the biggest negative for me. Um, the biggest surprises were, I would say, cornerback, receiver having more depth than we thought. Uh, the D-line made with Derek McCartney emerging, Tyler Hennington moving out to end and playing well. Uh, I felt like that was a positive. Um, a lot of other positions I was just kind of felt the same way about after spring ball. Did you guys see anything that, that kind of surprised you during spring ball in terms of a position or players or a group of guys that maybe surprised you one way or the other? Um, I just th- I think wide receivers I, I expected a lot out of them, um, but we didn't know for sure. You know, we said, well, they have the talent here, the talent there, the talent there. They could possibly collectively replace Paul Richardson. I think after seeing you know what we saw from them in the spring, I think they they're fully prepared to not take a big step back at that position. Um, with the emergence of Bryce Bobo. You still, you know, you we didn't get to see too much of Devin Ross, but you know, you know what he brings to the table. Then you still talk about bringing in a guy like Shea Fields, which which we don't know yet, but you know that could give them another boost. I think the wide receivers actually ended up being a really impressive group, and that's not even talking about Nelson Spruce, who is you know going to be the best receiver on the team. He's going to lead the team in catches. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I, th- I think last year, even with Paul Richardson, a four wide receiver set didn't scare anybody opponent wise for us because you have two or three guys that we knew could handle it. But after that, it fell off quite a bit. And I think this year, in a four-wide receiver set, you're going to find a mismatch that we can exploit. I really do think that we've got enough Division One quality, not even not even like scholarship-worthy, but quality guys who can be on the field and help this team. Um, I think uh, I, was, I was pretty surprised by the overall development of the size of the D-line, too. I think Jimmy Gilbert is a lot bigger than he gets credit. I mean, he's still a lanky guy, but he has the potential to be a really – I mean, he's, he's a big, wide he's – he's got a solid, tall frame. He's been able to put on some weight. And I think Derek McCartney was by far the most impressive to me. I mean, you see pictures of him before he got on campus and when he first got here. 
he's gained a lot of weight and in the right ways. He, he looks good. I think he's going to be a really good player for CU. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how that goes because it seems like always when there's one guy we bring in late that everybody hates and says he's going to do anything. And that person, exactly. that person is always the person that kills it for this football team, it seems like. So. And they've gray-shirted some guys, and then they end up playing them as true freshmen and basically alleviates right. the whole purpose of gray-shirting the guy. With Derek McCarty, is exactly what you want to do with the gray-shirt. Gray-shirt him, red-shirt him, and all of a sudden he looks like a man out there as a red-shirt freshman, and that's uh, the perfect example there. I had a chance to talk to strength and conditioning coach Dave Foreman during the final spring practice, and he talked about kind of their their goals, and, and he talked a lot about uh, kind of their philosophies with strength and conditioning uh, for this offseason and going into summer. Here is some audio from Dave Foreman. You know, Coach Mack talks about the cornerstones of the program are discipline and conditioning, and I, and I honestly think we still can't go wrong if we keep focusing on that. You know, uh, I thought I thought we were in, in pretty good shape last year. Um, uh, in certain ways you quantify that, but I thought we were, and we can always get better. Um, you know, discipline to me is key. Discipline runs and, and dictates everything you do, um, and, and we keep harping on that. Do we need to get stronger? Absolutely. Do we need to get bigger? Absolutely. Uh, do certain guys need it more than others? Yes. Um, you know, as we move through a a a. I guess like a longer-term plan is, is the best way to put it. Not not to say that, uh, you know, when you look at player development, you look at a, a freshman to a senior, and, uh, you know, if they've been in a program for, for, for that whole time, you have to change the stimulus. They, they'll adapt to whatever you throw at them. So, you know, you can't, you can't train a freshman the same way you train a senior and a junior and so on. And now, you know, about a year or so into the program with, with, with me and, and, and us coaches and knowing guys, and are there specific needs that some guys need to work on than others? Absolutely. So there, there are some individual goals, whether it's, you know, strength gains, size gains, etc. Some guys you look at and you say, you know what, their strength levels are, uh, we'll say adequate, not that you want to stop on that, but let's let's work let's work on maybe some more explosive power stuff now. And there's some guys in that boat. So it, it's kind of starting to filter out that way a little bit. Where okay. we do have overall team goals, of course, but yeah, there are some specific individual goals. And we squat every day. Uh, that that is a major uh, lift for us. That is a, a major point of emphasis. Um, you know, bench is great, and kids like to do it. And I sometimes throw them a bone, but that's not the end all be all for me. Uh, and I thought. And I'm, you know, I'm not a numbers guy. I'm not, I'm not pumping numbers. I'm not going to tell you we got, you know, 18 guys that, that squat 600. Pounds. I don't, you know, that, that to me is you're you're chasing the wrong thing. Okay. But I will say, and I stand by whatever numbers that I have. Um, we had a really, really good offseason in terms of gains in squat strength, and I saw guys get really strong uh, this winter. So I was pleased with that. We did a couple of things a little differently. And uh, some a little bit more advanced stuff that we've kind of been sitting on for a couple of years, and uh, you know I, we're going to do uh, you know we got we got we got eight big weeks plus the two here, so that makes ten plus hopefully guys you know when they're on their own, so we got some time here to make some some even further gains and strength gains and, and definitely lower body. Uh, a lot of stuff we did with the O and D line in particular was kind of designed to um, I guess make them more stout, if that makes sense. Think about an old line. I mean, their job is to basically not move while you kind of come at them, yeah. right? They, they, they need to hold their ground and, and be able to accept force. So we did a lot of things, uh, you know, some of the methodology geared around that, especially with the big guys. Now, everybody did it, but especially the big guys, and we really emphasized that even during this cycle that we were during spring ball. 
Uh, whereas we kind of transition to power for some of the big skill and your skill guys, big guys went through another cycle in that. So, uh, and you know, I, I just asking them and, you know, looking, I think we're way better than we were a year ago. You know, we certainly have, have room to grow and, 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 and strides to make and, 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 you know, we're still getting better, but, uh, you know, just talking to the kids, how do you feel? You know, because that's the answer. How do you feel? How do you feel when you have a one-on-one -on -one matchup against a guy maybe last year was beating you all the time, and now you're starting to hold your own and maybe win a few? And that, 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 that to me, is a better gauge of anything. How do, how do you feel? I feel good. Guys stayed healthy. You know, we uh, spring game, there were no injuries. Um, we really only had one, one major uh, this spring, and, and it, was a, it was a collision injury. I mean, it was a, it was a helmet to the knee, uh, you know. That took out John Tuso. Yeah. That's unfortunate. But um, yeah, staying healthy, that's that's really what I can. Right now, players are getting gearing up for uh, finals week, and then they're off for a while. They don't come back until June 1st, and then the newcomers will arrive June 23rd. They'll be off for the July 4th weekend, as always, and then they'll be back for the su second summer school session on July 8th. Dave Foreman is an interesting topic because – Colorado, let's face it, they've had some strength and conditioning coaches that haven't done very well in recent years. I think that's putting it lightly. Uh, we saw with Jeff Pittman, guys throwing, throwing around a lot of weight, not with proper technique, and guys getting hurt a lot. I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, unfairly criticize folks that aren't in the program, but am I off there? I mean, that's a pretty fair criticism. I mean, I think, I th yeah, I think the numbers speak for themselves on the results with Pittman, so... I felt Malcolm Blacken was a step in the right direction, a little bit more focus on technique, a little bit more on getting faster. The injury numbers, though, didn't improve at all under his watch. In fact, they had some of their worst injury seasons. Now, some of that's bad luck, but I really think when you look at what Dave Foreman did at San Jose State, improving their injury numbers every year, and what he did last year at Colorado, drastically improving them. I mean, that's not just luck. That's a guy taking special attention in their training to try to keep guys healthy. Is Dave Foreman a top-notch strength and conditioning coach, or is the jury still out in that sense? I think, you know, if they go into this year and you see the, the injury numbers improve again, I think he instantly uh, gets the uh, reputation of being a top-notch strength and conditioning coach. And I think there's a chance someone's going to offer him a, a lot of money to come, you know, do that for them. So I think I, – I wouldn't say the jury's still out. I think that he's proven himself pretty well. But if he can, you know, take another step forward this year and prove every single year that I do this, the team gets better, then, yeah, he's a top-notch strength and conditioning coach and one of the more valuable players – or one of the more valuable coaches on the staff. Yeah, I mean, I think if you – sitting at practice or any other time you've seen him, his, his approach is so much different. Um and the injuries, they're just not there. I mean, whether or not you can say it's luck or not, it doesn't matter. That You know, that's what the numbers are. And until those change, you have to give him the credit for it. Uh, we went through spring pretty healthy. Uh, you'd like to see that again in the fall and then for the season to do it more than one season before you really say he's 100% there. You'd like to see it a couple years in a row. But I think the potential is certainly there. I think the next step for him will be getting guys prepared for the NFL. I think that's what you really want to see, you know, Next is can can he produce NFL quality athletes through this program? I think that, that once he gets that consistently every single year, especially one of the few guys that maybe you don't see having that potential coming in, then it really becomes special. I know there's some fans that uh, debate about the fact that Colorado is not a very big team. 
I think, though, what we learned with Jeff Pittman is you can't manufacture a big team. You either recruit guys in that are big or you take what you have and mm-hmm. optimize them to be healthy and fast playing in the Pac-12. And that's kind of the approach that Dave Foreman's taken. I think it's a refreshing approach from what we've seen. Um, but, it, yeah, I mean, there's a handful of guys that are, you know, get off the bus type, first type of guys. But th- that's maybe where this program is lacking. But that's not really Dave Foreman's fault. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, there's only so much you can do with it, with the bodies you are given for sure. I, I just the next step, I think he's he's the right approach is there. You know, we're taking the first initial steps. I think he can finish it off by getting some of these guys a little more chiseled. Yeah, I think I think it's the right. Sorry, it's just the right. You know, he's doing the steps in the right order. I just think we're not 100 percent all the way through the steps yet. The thing is, if if you're gonna if if you guys aren't huge, but they can stay healthy and they can tackle, then you know, you don't need them to be huge. I think, you know, your your bus, your first guy off the bus is probably going to be Jim Jeffcoat, if it's going to be <laughs> anybody. But if they can tackle and they can stay healthy and they can be fast, then you don't, you don't need them to be big. Well, Je- uh, Dave Foreman's going to get to work with his team uh, this summer, and then the players will report to camp on August 1st. Their first practice is that next day. The first full padded practice is on August 6th. Guys, uh, there's this whole incoming signing class coming to to campus. As I mentioned earlier, they're going to be on campus June 23rd. I think I I listed five guys on on my uh, production plan here that I'm most anxious to watch during camp. And you tell me if you guys have somebody else in mind or where you vary on this. First off is Kate Apsay because you watch his film and what he does with the zone read option out of the pistol, and he looks very efficient, very athletic in that sense. Uh, I want to know, is he B.J. Denker or is he Jordan Gerke? Is he, he's probably somewhere in between. I think he can probably run it a little bit better than that. Can he be a, the dual threat guy that this program needs? Yeah, I think he has potential. He's obviously um, of that mold of a B.J. Denker like you talked about. Tyler doesn't think so. He thought that was funny. No, I just said this is a random name for me. I just laughed at that. Not that it's who, who ran the zone read option as a quarterback better against CU in recent years than BJ Danker last year. Yes. <laughs> I just I laugh anytime I hear the BJ Danker because of our experience with John Henderson, old friend John Henderson. But uh, that's that's for a buff stampede happy hour. That's a, a censored uh, story. To share <laughs> um, but yeah, I think he has he has the ability to be. Um, I think the the impressive thing with him for his age is his footwork. I think he has really good footwork. So for him to come in, um, I don't, I, you know, we'll see if he challenges and he puts himself into that backup quarterback role coming out of fall camp. I think that'll say a lot about his potential as a player. Another guy I want to see is Michael Matthews, the defensive end. You know, the Derek McCartney, yeah, he emerged. Jimmy Gilbert's going to be healthy, but you need they need some more pass rushers to emerge. Tyler Hennington, I need to mention him too. But Michael Matthews is one of the guys when I watched him on film, I was wondering how was this guy not recruited by the big time programs? He's got the size, the speed, the explosiveness, he's got the frame that can play. And immediately out of high school, he could potentially even grow into a tackle down the road. Um, he's a guy I think could help this program from day one. You love you love Michael Matthews. I do. Like it. I'm a he, huge it's fan. him and Phil Lindsay. Those <laughs> are your guys. I like. I actually like Michael Matthews a lot too on film. I, I think the the one thing about him is that there are a lot of paths for his career here, 
and not very many of them are bad. I think I think whether he whether he turns out to be a solid rush end or whether he moves inside and helps on the inside, I, I think he's going to be a contributor no matter where he ends up. And, and he he fills that gap. He's pretty big already. Like he he's going to come in. You're not going to have to put him in the weight room for four years before he looks like a football player. So that helps too. I mean, you got to get some of those guys in there, and he appears to have enough speed today to be helpful on that. It's not like you're losing any speed with him either. So yeah, I, I definitely he would be in my top five for sure. Shea Fields, uh, the the only blue chip guy coming in, uh, one one of the few blue chip guys they've signed in recent years, and they they've kind of had the blue chip guys have had this curse at Colorado. But if you think about it, the last receiver that was a four star recruit was Paul Richardson, and that turned out okay. He's we talked earlier in the show about Dominique Collier, and is there too much pressure put on him? Shea Fields is going to have a lot of pressure on him coming in because. A lot of people are going to look to him to replace Paul Richardson, and frankly, that's not fair. Can he be a version of Paul Richardson and grow into what he was is, I guess, the biggest thing I'm anxious to see during camp. Yeah, I mean, when you think about when Paul Richardson – Paul Richardson really didn't do much at Colorado. His first practice, though, at Colorado, Paul Richardson, I remember we were all looking at each other going, wow. Yeah, no, you knew he was good, but, I mean, how it doesn't really matter if he doesn't get on the field. So I think think to me, if he can stay healthy and even be – even remotely in the same conversation as Paul Richardson's talent level, he'll be fine here. And uh, also on my list was Dylan Keeney, a tight end. I, I don't see how there's any way this guy doesn't play, <laughs> given their situation at tight end. And given how good he looks on film, and this is one of those that you look at the structure of Colorado's camps and how many guy, how many camps they run, both on their own campus and other camps, campuses, and, and they luck into guys like this from hard work from really working that camp grind. And if if Dylan Kinney had that senior film his junior year, again, everybody offers this kid as a tight end. He's a four-star recruit. I remember Mitch Parsons was initially a four-star recruit out of Chaparral. I mean, you you compare his film with Dylan Kinney. I don't think there's anybody in their right mind that would take Mitch Parsons over Dylan Kinney. And obviously John Embry's not agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> agree with that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah – Especially given the competition level, I mean, he looks he looks better against his opponents on film than Mitch did, and yeah, no one's pretending California is doesn't have better football than Colorado. Another guy I got to throw out there is Donovan Lee. He, he's recruited as an athlete. They're going to move him around on offense and find where he best fits. McIntyre told me we don't know where Donovan Lee is going to play, but we know he'll be an impact guy somewhere, and we're going to find that spot for him. I'm anxious to see where that spot is. Uh, Ryan, you're a guy that's really high in yeah, Donovan Lee. I'm, I'm just really excited to see him get out there and just run around. I mean, he just, when you watch him, he just he just looks like he's having so much fun out there because he just glides around and he just, he has like a, just a feel for the field and his vision. So I'm excited to see where they put him. I completely agree with Mike McIntyre in the sense where they don't really know what they're going to do with him, but he's going to succeed wherever they decide to put him. Um, I think he said... They're originally going to try him out on offense. Correct. And in that slot role, and I think, you know, he has ability to make some seriously big plays as soon as he gets on campus. Yeah, you look at uh, cornerback is a position they initially offered him at, and then he had that really good senior season making a lot of plays on offense after uh, Terrell Newby uh, had graduated and gone out to Nebraska. He was the running back there um, at his high school before that. Donovan Lee does not fit the mold of what the staff has been recruiting at cornerback, though. They like those long guys. And now when Akella Witherspoon uh, emerges, Kenneth Crawley's in the mix, obviously still. Yuri Wright's in the mix. 
if Jeffrey Hall is back in the mix, you've got enough depth there that I think when you've got a guy like Donovan Lee that's made the plays that he made in high school, you probably want to have him on that side of the ball helping you out. Yeah, I was just gonna, that was going to be my comments. I think it's almost, it would almost be disappointing should he end up on the defensive side of the ball because he's so dynamic on offense. It's impossible to see him being over there and not finding ways to make plays and just do something that gets the crowd excited. You know, like he, the potential for him to just be one of the he's, – he's going to be fun to watch – and that's limited on the defensive end, you know, because people want to see me people make plays with the ball. I, I think he he could be really exciting. Even if he did end up on the defensive side of the ball for some reason, you'd have to do like what the Broncos did with Champ Bailey the first year they had him and have a couple packages where he comes in on offense and you can get the ball into his hands. Yeah, I mean, he, he reminds me, maybe even unfairly, of Rodney Stewart, a guy, a guy who is going to come in and just – He's going to make plays. I mean, if you think about Rodney, Rodney Seward's career, the, the, the highlight plays are what stick out in your mind, the ones that, you know, end up on highlight videos and make the crowd go crazy, like that blackout game against Georgia, the dive into the end zone. Those type of things I see coming from Donovan Lee. If Rodney Stewart didn't trip over his own feet, he would have <laughs> had some great <laughs> yeah. plays at Colorado. Right. That was an issue. It seemed like every time he got into open field, he would kind of spaz out and <laughs> forget how he to did, run. He did trip he on never, his fingertips of the last guy every time. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I don't think he ever actually broke one off for like more than 25 yards. He wasn't that fast. I think Donovan will be straight line faster than him. But he, just the, you know, everybody loves to see everybody, yeah, everybody, I was going to say wiggle. Everybody loves to see that wiggle, and Donovan Lee has wiggle. Do you guys have any other true freshmen? I threw out, I think I kind of went with the the. the Obvious picks with my mm-hmm. five guys. Is there anybody else kind of sleepers or even sleepier picks? <laughs> <laughs> well, since Will isn't here to pick here. my sleeper, I can have him, which is Jay McIntyre. Um, he's gonna. He, I think he, if anyone, has the most pressure of any uh, of a player coming in. Um, and I think uh, again, like kind of like I talked about with Dom, I think he's equipped to to take on that pressure. And I really, I, I don't think people are giving him credit. Uh, for how good of a player he is, um, he just—he's just a football player. He's—he has that you know thing that some coaches' kids just have. They've been around football their whole life. He just knows the game. So I think he really does have a chance to surprise some of some of the cynics out there that think that his uh, scholarship offer wasn't legitimate. I think for the sake of the message board, if he's going to get on the field, I hope he's head and shoulders above anybody else because if there's any debate whether he's better than the guy he's playing in front of, it's going to be kind of a mess, and that's. The only issue we have, I think, with this whole situation yeah. going into it. Yeah, I mean, the, the one guy that I would add, and not even because I expect him to do incredible things, but it's because Mike McIntyre expects him to do incredible things, is Evan White. Some yeah. of the things that he said about Evan White. He put Charles Clark on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, exactly. Basically, he, told, he said if Evan White isn't a, what did, I think he said first team all defense guy, Charles Clark can't come. No, he, I, think, <laughs> I think it was if Evan White can't play for us, then Charles Clark can't come. Okay, I don't think it was quite that yeah, dramatic. He's talking, he talking about how he would have an offer from every team in the country if he was from Alabama and stuff like that at the recruiting legends. Yeah. I, I, I just am curious to see what he sees in him, that he is willing to make those type of comments because he – not to say he's a bad player or not even a good player, but – Nobody else is ready to make those type of comments about Evan White. So I'm curious to see where where he sees that in everything. He's got that Tedrick Thompson type of like ready-to-go frame. I ran into J.J. Billingsley, who is a, a relative, I think a, a second cousin. Uh, I second was, cousin, I think okay. is what he told me. And he said he thinks that Evan White's going to grow into a linebacker, which wouldn't surprise me. Um, but, no, he's got he, – 
and he's got good coverage skills. I mean, he had a couple interceptions against Fowler Christian in the state semifinals. He's a good player. Um, I've never seen a coach get <laughs> called out like that yeah. before the player even gets on yeah, campus. I, just, I, just thought be... was, I thought it was an interesting player to like put your hat on for this yeah. class. So I'm curious to see if he's really ready to go right away because he said he also said that he expects him to play this year. Yeah. So I think though you would prefer at some point. In, in this program's future, to start redshirting guys. And not to say you want to trap guys to be on your campus, but you give them that redshirt year, they face a little adversity their sophomore or junior year. If they don't have that redshirt, they're most likely going to at least try to stick it out, whereas if you have that redshirt, you can go transfer somewhere else and you don't lose any plane eligibility. So at some point in the future, you want to get to a point where maybe – I think a good number is – like we were talking about which five true freshmen are you most anxious to see. I think at some point if Colorado's program can get to the point where five true freshmen play in the rest redshirt, then you're looking pretty good in that sense. Mm-hmm. So that wraps up for our show today. Tyler, you're headed out to Europe on vacation. Where are you going, man? Paris and London. So 12 First days. time out oh, there? Yeah, yeah. It's first time doing anything really cool unless you count Mexico. And Mexico is awesome. Yeah, but depending on Mexico next month, don't try to hate on Mexico. It's cool for different reasons. (laughs) I'm excited to see a different part of the world. So, yeah, I actually, um, I never really had much interest in in college or previously, but over the last year, I mean, I I don't think I could live overseas or do any of that, but I'm really excited about the vacation. I think it'll be really cool to see somewhere else. You're maturing right in front of our eyes. You're going to come back a different man. (laughs) The board board would disagree. Well, we're going to miss you, Tyler, while you're away. We did, before we take this radio show, was we filmed the first two segments of our top returning buffs countdown, which, like last year, we're counting down the top 40 returning players, and I know fans really enjoyed that. It was a great conversation piece on the message board last last year. We kind of packed those into like a month last year. This year, we're actually going to release one of those segments, uh, one of those features each week leading up to camp, so look for that on the site and we're going to be back with some buff stampede radios here in the coming weeks and months before camp and there's not a ton to talk about this time of year there's going to be some camps at cu for football that we can talk about but we're going to try to get some guests on this show for you some former cu athletes other people of interest that can you know weigh in on cu uh for you here in the coming months months so keep listening to the show and maybe alex lewis will take 21 shots and give us something to talk about <laughs> yeah hopefully hopefully uh we'll have some nfl draft and nba draft stuff to talk paul about. richardson where does he right, go yeah yeah and, and same thing with obviously spencer i spent a lot of time talking about that today so hopefully we can get some updates there along the way as well and last year that mike bone gets fired out of nowhere in the summer there's never a dull moment with cu so we'll find plenty of things to talk about on this show as we enter these coming months thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you soon